0: Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John,
1: and I'm Andy. Since last we met, John and I have both started our semesters. John, how's yours going so far? I seem to recall you were overloaded during the fall semester, which made it rather difficult for us to find time to prepare episodes and record. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming it's all smooth sailing, easy breezing for you right now. Yeah, hey, I'm living the dream, Andy. That's all the past. How about you? Oh, good.
0: You guys had a good. delayed start to the semester, right?
1: Uh, Yes, yes, we did. We had a a snowstorm here in Mississippi that shut everything down for about a week. For a week. uh, Right around the start of the semester. And it was great. Uh Uh, And this this week long
0: whiteout that you suffered, Andy, um, how many inches was that?
1: Oh, inches. I mean, (laughs) you know. Who's counting I'm not sure of the official measurement but uh, let's say two to three inches of accumulation and then, you know a lot more as you know comes down now
0: keeping in mind that our audience includes people who live in the north uh, of both the uh, this continent and the European continent uh, yeah would you care to explain that <laughs> how does uh, <laughs> like how does two to three inches of snow shut down
1: a town and a university for an entire week? I mean, that's a reasonable question. It's one that I would have asked had I not lived here for a little while now. Um, I don't think it'll surprise you to hear that we don't have snow plows here in Mississippi. Um, They did, right before the storm, spray some kind of saline solution or something on the road. Mm -hmm. But it didn't really help. Uh, And then the snow, combined with freezing temperatures, it turned all the roads to ice. And those freezing temperatures just hung around all week, which meant the ice didn't melt. Mm -hmm. So... You know, about midweek, it was really interesting. They got desperate and sent out the heavy machinery, like, you know, the, the truck that grinds up and grades the roads for paving. Uh, they they sent that Wait, around even in my, in the my roads neighborhood. No, no. They just sent it around to kind of scrape the, the ice a little bit, try to break it up and then drop some, uh, you know, drop some uh, gravel down to give people some purchase. But... It only kind of worked, and they ended up like creating big piles in the mm-hmm. middle of uh, traffic lanes, and then people get stuck because they're trying to go left, and they can't get over <laughs> it. And it was interesting. <laughs> so it's
0: a big mess. It
1: was a big mess, but we, we loved it. We had uh, you know plenty of food in the house, and uh, we spent our time getting to know our neighbors a bit better, which was nice, and we even got to go sledding around our neighborhood uh, in the day and in the night because I live in a, a kind of hilly neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It was it was great. I, we had a, a wonderful time.
0: But they so now they've they've sent in the dog teams and the Sherpas and everybody's been dug out and you guys are ready to start the semester.
1: Right, right. Good. No, it, it melted. It melted away in like a day or so. The I mean, temperatures <laughs> got back to Mississippi uh-huh. temperatures and we returned to normal life. Uh, So, yeah, I'm teaching uh, my courses for interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary studies programs as usual. And I am already swamped with grading and advising appointments and people switching majors and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're back to the grind of the regular semester. And uh, that grind is seriously cramping my availability for Saga thing. uh, Yet here we are. It's only been a few weeks since we last recorded. I think we're doing pretty well.
0: Hmm. We're, we're, We're ready to talk about Svartal Saga again.
1: Well, a few weeks is maybe being a bit generous, but I am excited to get back to Svarfdala saga. Me too. Speaking of which, I wonder what happened.
0: <gasps> Last time on Saga Thing! Our saga begins with Thorgnir, a Norwegian agent of King Harald Fairhair. He has two sons a lazy good-for-nothing named Thorsten, and his successful and popular brother, Thorolf. The brothers hatch a plan to improve Thorsten's reputation by joining together on a voyage. A quick wash and brush up later, Thorsten is ready to take his place by his brother's side. Get ready, world! The two men sail out of
1: Iceland with a twinkle in their eyes and good weapons on their backs. Things begin peacefully with a couple of summers spent wheeling and dealing with merchants all over the North Sea. The Thorgnesons return home full of stories and with fuller purses. But Thorstein's got a hankering for trouble that shrewd tradesmanship just can't satisfy. He decides to begin a career as a Viking. Despite his objections, his brother Thorolf joins him and the two spend three summers abroad, striking fear in the hearts of those who'd already learned to fear their sharp negotiating. Having proved that their raiding skills pay far better than their trading bills,
0: Thorstein is eager for more action. His father's suggestion that it might be time to return to the farming life proves to be a seed cast on rocky ground, for Thorsten would rather raise hell than sheep. He decides on a new goal, to find and kill the notorious Jolt the Pale, a Swedish Viking with a terrifying reputation and a fleet of fifteen ships at his call.
1: Thorsten and Thorolf sail out once more, and on finding Jot, they force him into a battle. And it's quite the fracas. No one's laughing by the time this is over. More than 20 ships are lost by the time the brothers and their last dozen men are standing victorious on the decks of Ljot's flagship. But in the midst of victory, tragedy strikes, as Thorov suffers a fatal stomach wound while shielding Thorstein from a thrown sword. Now, even as he grieves, Black Sheep Thorstein must make his own way in the world without his brother to smooth his path. How will he fare? Find out as we return to saga, chapter 7 to 10. It was a, That was a pretty fun episode, if you ask me. No one did. But yes, the saga does a really nice job. It introduces us to
0: Thorsten and sets things up in a compelling mm-hmm. way. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, that break in the manuscript is looming just over the horizon.
1: Anticipating that lacuna kind of reminds me of the old uh, children's book, There's a Monster at the End of This Book. Oh, yeah. John, have, have you ever read that one with Grover from Sesame Street? Andy, that is the most insulting thing you've ever asked me. I'm, well, I, I would figure I was born
0: you not only dead grew up center with it, of Gen but, X are you kidding is there wasn't a Sesame Street piece of paraphernalia that I didn't have as a child and the monster theater of this book I had the t-shirt for the monster at the end of this book
1: oh that's great that's great uh, it was a, a staple in my house growing up and uh, for my kids mm-hmm. as well yep. and uh, it was the one book that my my kids would let me do a voice in I would do the Grover voice and they wouldn't get mad. Would, Any other would you book you would you care to share your Grover voice with us? Oh, it's been so long. I've, I don't, I would have to I've never, never the book one. here.
2: Oh, don't you turn don't you <laughs> turn that page. <bench. laughs>
1: like I said, you got to warm up to it. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> my my youngest is 13 now. We haven't read the book in a while, John.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, no.
0: I I actually um, if I'm if I'm in the right headspace, I can do a pretty decent Elmo. I just hate doing
1: it because I despise Elmo. <laughs> 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 well, maybe maybe uh, a character later in the saga, Clawey, uh, Clawey <laughs> could be an Elmo.
0: <laughs> Elmo wants revenge.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, anyway, that's what it feels like to me, because, you know, like every time we turn the page in in, in this book, we're getting closer and closer to that 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 gap in the narrative that that is so large and so world breaking for this saga that it it kind of makes it hard to make sense of what's going on. I agree. But I think we should save our discussion of manuscript studies. I, I knew you couldn't resist.
0: I'm a fan of the Foley work. Uh, let's save any discussion of the lacuna and what we think is going on for the moment it hits.
1: Well, I mean, that could be this episode or next. Probably. Sure enough. Let's see how far we get. Okay. Part
0: three It's a man's life among the Swedes.
1: All right. So Thorstein has accomplished his goal of defeating the famous Viking known as Ljotapail. He's well on his way to making a name for himself and earning his father's respect, but not without paying a great cost. As we said in the recap, his elder brother Thorolf, who was also his mentor and best friend, was sadly killed in the fight.
0: Yeah, so in that previous episode, uh, Thorsten balked when Thorolf insisted that he would join his brother on that journey to find Yalt the Pale. Uh, When they first started adventuring together, Thorolf had promised Thorsten that he would always let his brother have the last word in any disagreement.
1: But he also swore never to leave Thorstein's side. Yeah, and and those two oaths came into direct conflict when Thorstein decided to chase fame and glory. And in the end, Thorolf got his way and Thorstein's worst fear became a reality, leading to the death of his brother and Thorstein's touching comment, I would have given a great deal for us never to have made this journey.
0: And that's where we left things,
1: uh, yeah. Thorsten
0: and his very few remaining men.
1: Yeah, they, like we said, only 12 men survived that battle, mm-hmm. which is shocking considering they arrived with something like five longships full of battle-ready men, but only 12 survived and uh, most of those were badly wounded. So. And they won. And that's what matters. Uh, so
0: after about a week of healing, Thorsten and his men load Thorolf's coffin onto a rowing ship along with the choicest treasure from the spoils. Mm -hmm. They leave the rest of the treasure in uh, Lothapel's castle, no doubt to be picked up at a later date. Uh, But rather than sail home, they make for the nearby shores of Sweden, landing in the territory of a Jarl named Harald. And with ten men, Thorsten
1: charges straight up to Jarl Harald's hall and moves to enter. Yeah, now just to be clear, they are not attacking the hall, they're just... Really direct in their approach. Right, but
0: this is all a little much for the Swedes. Yes. A bunch of bloody Norwegians showing up at the door. The the history between these two countries is a little complicated. well right. uh, the, the door guards stop him and explain that it's, it's just not customary for armed strangers to be given access to the Jarl's drinking hall. But Thorsten just shrugs and says, I will mow down anyone in my way if you two don't step aside. And the two guards nearly stumble over
1: each other, getting out of Thorsten's way. Right, right. So let's let's pause here, uh, especially since you mentioned that complicated history, and talk about these Swedes, shall we? Um, I mean, we can if you insist, but we literally just got started. I know, but I, I want to plant a seed for our listeners. Oh boy. So, um, so John Frederick Heinemann, who uh, who did the English translation that we're using here. He also has an article on Svarftala Saga called Svarftala Saga, the Norwegians versus the Swedes. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an interesting article uh, in part just for the effort to argue for the quality of this saga. But it also uh, gives a lot of attention to the depiction of the Swedes in the saga. And are there a lot of Swedes in the saga? No. Yeah, I I didn't (laughs) notice a bunch of them. (laughs) Not exactly, but Heinemann highlights this section of the saga and the author's subsequent interest in Swedish bloodlines to suggest that one of the more important goals of Svarthala saga's author is to honor and celebrate the Norwegian spirit, Mm -hmm. especially uh, at the cost or expense of the Swedes, Mm -hmm. who are characterized here as bumbling, cowardly, and inept. And uh, that's what we see here in this first encounter with the Swedes in uh, Jarl Heroth's drinking hall, right?
0: Yeah. Now, I, I thought you were either going to launch into a Beowulf for Lord of the Rings comparison or well, else make a cheap Ikea joke
1: after that, uh, <laughs> that encounter with the guards. No, but uh, that's obviously there, too, especially once we meet Heroth, and we'll, we'll surely touch yeah, on that. Yeah, So, so going
0: forward, we need to pay a bit of attention to how the Swedes and Norwegians compare, right?
1: Yes, yes. And it should be pretty obvious that one of those is better than the other.
0: Right. No offense to our uh, our many, many listeners in Sweden. Uh, yes. So uh, we should have a look at Hrothgar or uh, Jarl Harald then.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I see what you're doing there. And it, it is wholly justified. There's a light Beowulf seasoning to this section of the saga that you might Ooh. pick up on. I can't think of a less palatable idea <laughs> than a light and, and beowulf, beowulf seasoning, like uh, a, a lamb Lambert's beowulf or oh, more lovely. of a mm, and, <laughs> mm,
0: tastes saucy saucy. Uh, mm. So uh, Thorsten pushes his way past the guards, who at this point do absolutely nothing to stop him from entering the hall, fully armed mm-hmm. with ten men behind him. And again, that speaks to the weakness of the Swedes, right? That Heinemann is talking about. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and for his part. Jarl Harald receives a surprise guest rather well. He doesn't seem the least bit surprised that Swedish guards prove to be useless. <laughs> right. Uh, they greet each other, and Harald notes that he has heard very
1: good things about Thorstein. Now, what good things could he have heard, John? I mean, surely Just stuff he Thorstein... overheard just now, listening to the conversation <laughs> yeah. with the door. <laughs> I hear you go through doors really, really well. Uh, but, like, I think, like, you know, Thorstein and his brother have spent the last three years raiding I'm assuming in and around Harald's shoreline. Are they? Is he hearing? We don't know, right? I mean, we
0: don't actually know where they went raiding. The the point
1: is that wherever
0: he goes, he has the reputation of a brave and capable man.
1: Sure, sure. Well, wherever they went raiding, I think the chances of Harald having heard of him are pretty slim. This, this to me, feels like all those times in other sagas where the Icelander shows up in the Norwegian court and the king is like, "Oh yes, I've heard of you," Mm -hmm. even though. It's usually a young Icelander who's never done anything more than move sheep from one field to another.
0: Well, I mean, it's worth noting that Thorsten and his men are standing there fully armed. <laughs> right? He may be extrapolating <laughs> yes. from the available evidence, right? I mean, what is he supposed to say to these guys? Yeah,
1: good point. Lou, you look like strapping young men.
0: I'm sure you're quite <laughs> capable. Surely you've moved sheep from one pasture to another at some point. Uh so, if you know what it means. Jarl Harald uh, now invites Thorsten to take the high seat at the table and join him for the mid-morning drink. That's very and polite. Yes, that is correct. The mid-morning drink. Mm. Uh, Thorsten happily accepts the invitation and the two men exchange news while drinking together. Uh, and, of course, Thorsten reports that he recently fought with Jolt the Pale and lost all but ten of his men, including his brother. And he laments that he won't be able to get compensation for that loss.
1: Mm. It's important to note here that Thorstein does not say that he killed the Pale. Instead, he's playing like he's just come from being attacked by the cruel Viking, and this is all that he's got left. Uh, he's not going to be able to get payment or compensation for the loss of his brother. Uh, n- not because Pale is not going to pay it, but because Ljotapal is dead. But he doesn't mention that, right?
0: Right, right.
1: And Harald uh, is impressed that Thorstein managed to get away with his life. It's very unusual. And he says that he's quite familiar with Pale, And he's never heard of anyone getting away from him unharmed.
0: Now that he's got Harald uh, sufficiently sympathetic to his situation, uh, Thorsten asks the Arl for the use of his hull for a bit so he can hold a proper memorial service for his brother. Mm-hmm. He promises to pay all the expenses, and the Jarl readily agrees. So with, uh, with the Jarl's permission, Thorsten and his men build a fine burial mound for Thorolf, presumably not inside the hall. Uh, right. when, it's, when it's finished, they place him lovingly inside with plenty of treasure to honor him, and then hold a grand feast to celebrate his life.
1: Yeah, it's a big, big affair. It lasts three nights long. And it's not just for Thorstein and his ten men. They invite the Jarl. It is his hall, after all. Uh, they invite his men and all the noblemen who live nearby. And this is a good look for Jarl Heroth to be hosting right. such a fine and I presumably wealthy and heroic mm-hmm. man as Thorstein. Especially because Thorstein offers excellent gifts to all the men as they leave. So... Both Thorstein and Jarl Heroth gain honor; they gain favor uh, altogether as a result of this this nice arrangement. So,
0: and this is always the ideal of sort of masculine camaraderie in the sagas, right? Is that it's yeah. a mutually beneficial arrangement for the honor of both men?
1: Yeah. That's a great, great point. And and things do go so well. And Jal Haroth is so impressed by Thorstein that he actually invites him to stay the winter, which Thorstein gladly accepts, um, especially because he's only got a handful of men and he needs to Mm -hmm. make it all the way back home. So why not stay there in fine style throughout the winter and then prepare to go home later?
0: Right. And everything goes great right up until Yuletide.
1: Yuletide? Don't tell me. Gudmund the Grunch has made his way to Sweden.
0: Well, no, someone equally crusty and dastardly, though, is indeed lurking over the horizon. Uh-huh. See, it turns out that old Jarl Haralf, uh, we didn't, I don't know if we said this, but he's old. Yes. Uh, yes. He has a bit of a problem. Uh, and this, by the way, is going to uh, give an indication as to why we were calling him Hrothgar earlier. Yeah. Uh, the saga does a nice job of setting it up. It says, it was nearly tide when a change came over the people. Gone was the good cheer and joy. And a great stillness settled on the hall. Mm-hmm. And when Thorsten asks why everyone is suddenly so downcast and reserved, he's told that a group of very unwelcome and hostile guests are expected right around Yuletide.
1: Of course. See, it's Yuletide. Don't these monsters always come at Yuletide, whether it's Goodman the Grunch or, or Glam. They They just can't stand the sound of hall joy, Andy. Ah, I see. Sensitive ears. I, I don't guessing? think so. No,
0: no. Notwithstanding uh, Zemeckis' opinion, no. Uh, uh-huh. It's <laughs> offended by the camaraderie, warmth, and friendship of human uh, men. Uh, yeah. So Thorston asks, "What kind of guests can get everyone so upset?" And he's told that the worst of them is a Viking called Moldy. Moldy. Uh huh. A half berserk. They tell us.
1: A moldy uh, half berserk.
0: Yes, uh, uh-huh. but he comes with eleven other men. Each of them as bad as the next. Okay. Uh, they've come twice before, and iron weapons have no effect on moldy. Uh, oh, and the others can all
1: walk through fire, and they like to bite their shields. <laughs> okay, real berserker stuff there. Yep. Uh, and and far more dangerous than the yule lads. Yeah, these are not yule lads.
0: These are they're nobody's coming around to uh, swipe skewer, and lick spoons. Okay. Uh, see, it turns out that moldy. Uh, who exists in this kind of weird ethereal space between being human, monstrous, and undead. Uh, apparently, the human part of him wants to marry Jarl Harald's daughter,
1: Ingebjörg. Can you take a second to expand on that? Because I think it's interesting. You're saying he exists in this liminal space between monster, uh, undead, and human. Um, but, you know, clearly when we meet him, he's not. So I think you're, you're suggesting something about the saga more than the, the character, right? I
0: mean, you're being, you're being set up to expect something, frankly, a bit more supernatural, probably because of the context of other sagas, right? We've said before yeah, this is a yeah. saga
1: that knows other sagas. And until until it, we suddenly end up in a in a uh, Arthurian romance.
0: Right, sure. But until we get <laughs> there, uh, this is a saga that's, you know, playing with conventions and you expect at this point for the thing attacking the hall to be either
1: a troll or a revenant. Maybe not a revenant, but the monstrous part, yes, I agree with that. But you say that uh, Moldy wants to marry Harald's uh, daughter, Ingeborg, and mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, I think everyone who's listening now knows exactly where all of this is heading, right?
0: Indeed. Uh, but wait, there's more! Oh! If the Jarl doesn't accept Muldi's proposal, then he'll have to fight the evil Viking in a duel three nights after Yuletide. Well. Unfortunately, the Jarl is just too old to duel. Do we, do we, do we mention that he's old? He's old. He's very, very old, Eddie. And he's he's a lot older when it comes time to fight somebody like Moldy. Yes, he is. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, nowhere in this hall is there anyone willing to stand up to this beast of a man.
1: Yeah, this all sounds so familiar.
0: Yeah, doesn't it, though? Yeah,
1: but, you know, it's it's a nice blend of what you'd find in a legendary saga like Mm -hmm. uh, Ragnar's saga and uh, and Beowulf. Mm -hmm. And while Heinemann doesn't make much of the Beowulf parallels in his article, he does note that the Swedes have quote, grown weak under an aging ruler Uh and that the court is comprised of, quote, retainers simply not able to support their leader.
0: Right. But instead of a sort of more explicitly monstrous figure like Grendel, this aged ruler is plagued by Muldy, who's just a half-berserk guy. Yeah. Still kind of a
1: monster. Kind of. I mean, conceptually, yes. Just not, you know, physiologically. Yeah, um, just real quick, John. Uh, the name Moldy, um, mm-hmm. not a common name that I'm no, aware of.
0: I'm pretty sure that's unique among the sagas, right? I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think you've come up with more I those. don't know why
1: I didn't look it up. Did you happen to look that one up at all?
0: Uh, oh no, no, I'm saving that for nicknames. I did look it up, but I'm saving it.
1: Uh, my prediction: it means moldy, as shh, in moldy bread. Shh, don't give it away. I'm just guessing. History of the English language and what being what it is, <laughs> you know. Um, okay, so Thorstein. Thorstein has to play the role of Beowulf here, obviously. Uh, he no doubt steps right up and offers a boast to the Jarl, promising to rescue him from this menace, this monster, once and for all. Right? Surely.
0: Well, not, not exactly.
1: Uh, he says something <laughs> like, I think it's inexcusable that such a thing would bother him so much. Well, that's hardly a Beowulfian boast there.
0: Well, yeah. And yet those who heard him say this interpret it to mean that Thorsten is offering to fight the duel on behalf of Jarl (laughs) (laughs) Herald.
1: Oh, great. Uh, Well, sometime later, the Jarl catches wind of this, and he approaches Thorstein to ask if the rumors were true.
2: Is it true what I hear? That you plan to release me from the duel with Moldy?
0: Yeah, I think uh, this is a situation where everybody else took a sharp step backwards when it came time to look for recruits, because Thorsten is very surprised by this and says,
1: I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. It's such a funny line. This is why I love these later sagas. They're capable of this. All I said was that it might be likely that someone would step up and
0: release you from the duel if you offered some incentive. I
2: see. Well, I have decreed that anyone who can rid me of this man Will have my daughter's hand in marriage as their reward. Interested.
1: Now, surely, John, this this is all the incentive that Thorstein needs. Marrying the jarl's daughter would be a real step up for him, right? I mean, maybe, but remember she's
0: Swedish. Is that really a step up for a Norwegian?
1: Oh, John, I don't think my wife is gonna appreciate that joke. Or well, or the eighth Swedes listening. I mean
0: she she lives with you. She's heard worse. Um, That's true. <laughs> but I'm only talking about the way that the saga interprets sure, it, right? Sure. No, dig dig yourself out of the hole. Go well, ahead. All I meant is that Thorsten doesn't seem to take the Swedes all that seriously, and neither does yeah. this saga. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he thinks, or if we're meant to think he thinks, that the offer of a Swedish Jarl's daughter is really the kind
1: of reward his Norwegian father would appreciate. Mm, interesting. I, I mean, I guess that, that supports Heinemann's suggestion that this whole section puts Norwegians and Swedes in stark contrast. But I'm going to hold off judgment on mm. whether I agree with that or not just yet.
0: Well, I mean, Thorsten's cool response to this offer kind of highlights that discrepancy, right? He says, I did not ask because I wish this for myself. I'm just saying that the more men that
1: know about the offer, the more likely they are to help you. Uh, have I said first of all ouch that's really t- terrible <laughs> um, have I said in this episode how much I don't like the voice you've chosen for oh
0: I, d- I can't stand it but I you know, know I'm, 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 look it's what he sounds like
1: I just it's I'm ruining a, a really merely, good character for me John
0: I merely interpret Andy uh,
1: so you're the vessel and the voice right. came to you that's it right. came through you that's right
0: Thorsten is Thorsten is speaking through me
2: yeah well, he well, likes okay.
0: to talk this way.
2: So <laughs> you're taking up
0: with him feel free
1: the the Jarl is is basically begging him for help, and he says, uh maybe if you are you know let other people know right uh they, right. they might help you out not me but someone right, you right? Might, you so, might you might be able to find somebody who's into your daughter yeah, <laughs> yeah. now I just imagine poor old Jarl Haroth deflating into his chair after that
2: <laughs> saying, so uh just to be clear, you're not offering nope oh.
1: Now, to be fair, that isn't exactly how. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> it that went last down. part. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, we're told that the Jarl was encouraged by Thorstein's suggestion, and I take this to mean that Jarl Heroth begins proclaiming the reward far and wide in his lands, hoping to find someone to take on Moldy, the half berserk.
0: I think we all know who's going to take on Moldy, the half berserk, Andy. It's a surprise. Part 4. Moldy, the Half-Berserk.
1: Now, As Yule approaches, the mood in the hall steadily improves. The Jarls gathered his kinsmen, his friends, and all the best men of the realm together for a feast on the eve of Yule. I suppose things are now looking up for Jarl
0: Harald, right? I mean, uh, Thorsten yeah. seems to have suggested that he... Uh, that uh, Wait, maybe Thorsten suggests... Oh, I see. That he actually promote the offer... Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, sorry. Mm -hmm. Maybe Thorson's suggestion that he actually promote the offer of his daughter's hand has uh, paid off.
1: Yeah, and and all the best men are there. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine, if you will, a hall filled with warm fires and good cheer. A feast is laid out on the table, and no doubt there's fine music playing. The Jarl, anticipating guests, has saved 12 seats between the high seat and the door. And just then, as the mood of this hall reaches its peak, a guard enters to inform the Jarl that Moldy and his 11 companions are approaching the hall. This is one of these useless uh, Swedish guards. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> so is this uh, is this story time, Mandy? You're
1: setting this up like it's story time. No, no. It's it's saga thing. Now... <laughs> The hall goes quiet. The fires somehow seem to burn dimmer. The shadows play eerily on the walls. And then the door opens. The cool night air sweeps through the room, sending an unwelcome chill down the spine of the once warm and happy guests. And into the hall stride twelve formidable figures, their presence commanding attention and instilling fear in equal measure. These... Are no ordinary men. They are berserkers. Or at least half-berserkers. Their (laughs) eyes wild with battle lust. Their muscles taut with the promise of violence. Oh dear. Oh
0: yes. No, I, I didn't mean oh dear in that way.
1: Quiet, quiet. They march forward with purpose. The sound of their heavy boots pounding the stone floor echoing through the hall. Until they reach the fire pit. Then, ignoring the heat of the flames, they walk through the fire itself, biting the rims of their shields in a menacing display of their ferocity, advancing ever closer toward the Jarl's seat, step by step, their gaze unwavering, and
0: then they and then they walk across a pile of legos left on the floor without flinching.
1: <laughs> Are you finished? <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And then they, oh, and then they broke into the thriller dance, which was pretty cool. There you go. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just trying to capture the vibe of a cool scene. I really like that scene in mm-hmm. the text. I'm sorry if I went a little too far.
0: I mean, it's what happened. <laughs> the the song just tells it a bit quicker, but, much quicker. <laughs> you know, you, uh, you captured the essence of Moldy's entry. It's just kind of you gave us the uh, the Washington Irving version of it.
1: Uh, I, I, <laughs> I get paid by the words, yeah, so yeah. It, you, you need to flesh it out a little uh, bit. I,
0: just, you know, I don't know if we have time or space for that particular brand of storytelling here.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. So Moldy comes in, he fights a duel, and then we're in Iceland. No, no, and, no, no. no. Hold and, hold, 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 that's a bit, oh, I now you're going you a bit too to fast. You to search for oh, the happy okay.
0: medium, Andy.
1: <laughs> right, right. So uh, Moldy does approach the Jarl, and they exchange... I was surprised to read a polite greeting. Sure, uh, Moldy is a very polite villain. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> when Jarl Harold invites Moldy and his companions to take the twelve seats that he had saved for them and sit down, be welcome, uh, have have some food, uh, Moldy responds that he's not interested in the Jarl's
2: hospitality just yet. Not until the two of us have settled our business. Oh, that voice is okay.
1: Well, it's it's not dis- too dissimilar uh-huh. from his. Oh, I almost I almost gave something away. <laughs> There's a reason. Uh
0: huh. So the jarl says it would be best if they just celebrate Yule together first, and then he'll put his men to the test to see if any of the gathered fellows would be willing to fight Mouldy on his behalf. It's mm-hmm. a bold assumption, but it tells me the jarl is pretty confident that one of the fine Swedish heroes in the hall is going to prove his worth when the time comes. Absolutely. And if not a Swede,
1: then just maybe there's a bold Norwegian somewhere in the hall. Well, Moldy isn't interested in waiting. He says,
2: I'd like to go around now, from one man to the next, and ask each of them. If he thinks he is my equal in Valor, it should be an amusing game. But I would never speak in this way to you, your Heroth, because I wouldn't want to disrespect you in any way.
0: So, Andy, uh, I assume that like me, you've caught a whiff of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight here.
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, I also, I thought of Chrétien's Knight of the Carts or the story of Lancelot. Mm. Uh, it also begins with a feast that's disrupted by an unwelcome knight who challenges Arthur's court and obviously Guinevere's involved with that one as well. Right.
0: And if any of you are familiar with these stories, listeners, uh, you know that Arthur's court generally doesn't handle the challenge a lot better than Hrothgar's men handled the Grendel uh, or indeed than uh, Jarl Haroth's men are handling this. Uh, like yeah. You need a Sir Gawain, or a, a Sir Lancelot,
1: or a Beowulf to
0: suddenly appear.
1: Right, quite right, yes. And and things play out in exactly this way at Jarl Harald's court. Uh, Moldy walks around the hall, stopping before each man, uh, and asks him whether he considers himself his equal in valor. And despite Jarl Harald's hopes, no one steps up when confronted by Moldy.
0: Well until he comes to the man sitting in the other high seat. This man has his legs stretched out on a box and a pelt draped over his
1: head. Oh, how mysterious. <laughs> well, he not, calls himself Strider. Not,
0: not if you read the first part of the saga and realize that this is exactly how uh, a certain somebody used to lay around his parents' house. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Moldy stops at this uh, this very comfortable man and asks what kind of fellow would be slouching on the high seat like this. And from under the pelt, he
1: hears, That's none of your business. Oh, this is getting good. If only Sir Gawain talked like that to the Green Knight. (laughs) A little attitude goes a long way. Yeah, it gets better.
0: Uh, When Moldy asks this
1: mysterious slouching man
0: whether he thinks he's his equal in valor, the man says, I wouldn't say so. Because I regard you as having the nature of an animal that walks on four legs, the one we call a mare.
2: Ooh. Winnie,
0: Winnie, <laughs> Moldy does
1: not
2: like well, that. No, he
1: should not. This is a you know this is regarded as a killing
0: insult in the law.
1: Absolutely, yes. He he, and he's so insulted that he immediately challenges this stranger to a duel to be held three nights after Yule. Well, why wait until after Yule? Let's do this sooner. Why not right here, right now? And in an odd turn for the brave and scary moldy, he says,
2: Well, um, because I don't want to violate the sanctity of the gods. Plus, well, I'm not very keen on fighting right now.
1: (laughs) And then he and his men go outside, mount their horses, and right away he's just a typical bully isn't he yeah and of course the hall erupts in loud cheers uh and everyone is suddenly quite happy and i'm happy you know, I'm...
0: yuletide everyone <laughs> right
1: right uh i have uh, just one question john go ahead who is the mysterious slouching stranger that challenged moldy <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's thorsten andy it's a uh, it's thorsten ah <laughs> oh.
0: Part 5, The Duel
1: After a lovely Yuletide celebration, preparations begin for this duel between Thorstein and Moldy the Half-Berserk. And when the time comes, the Jarl leads Thorstein and a large party down to the agreed-upon dueling grounds. And while they wait for Moldy to arrive, the Jarl asks Thorstein what weapon he plans to use in this duel.
0: Hang on, hang on, Andy, I have to ask a question. Yeah. At what point did we finally accept that Thorsten is the one fighting this duel? <laughs> oh,
1: when he uh, insulted Moldy at the feast and then was challenged I to a duel. I guess. I guess. I mean, or, or is this a separate duel? I feel like we
0: kind of jumped very quickly from, you know, maybe, possibly, to oh, I think suddenly he's the John, guy fighting this duel.
1: I think that was all just Thorsten's chicanery. He has a I way know. of kind of like... You know, working in the shadows while saying one thing and meaning another all the time. He's a scamp. He's a scamp. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. So while they wait for Moldy to arrive, the Jarl asks Thorstein what weapon he plans to use in the duel. And that's when Thorstein reveals a very special sword hidden under his cloak and shows it to the Jarl. Hello. I know. (laughs) And as the Jarl pulls this sword from the scabbard, his eyes widen in amazement.
2: How did you come by the sword of Lyot the Pale?
1: Well, he gave
0: it to me on his dying day, along with all his other treasures.
2: Wait. Are you, you telling me that Lyot the Pale is dead? Well, he was when I left him.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good payoff. Now, yeah. remember that Thorstein arrived at the jarl's hall the day after killing Lyot but never mentioned that Ljolt was dead. He only said mm-hmm. that he'd lost his brother Thorolf in that nasty encounter with Ljolt. So here's right. the big reveal. And you wonder at the time why
0: Thorsten didn't say anything about it. Yeah. Right? I mean, you'd think he he might want that clout and recognition.
1: But, you know, I, I was thinking about this. He he was landing in strange territory. Maybe he thought it better to get the lay of the land before announcing what he'd done and how much treasure he got from Ljolt. Uh Remember, he's only got a handful of men, left from his band of warriors, like 10 now.
0: Well, it's true, but it's also possible that none of that actually matters. Oh. And this isn't narratively significant at all, and the whole point is just to have a dramatic payoff here at this moment in the story. Almost like this is a narrative,
1: it's literature, and not real. I mean, it's possible. Good point. It's just barely possible. Now, while the Jarl is very impressed by Thorstein's accomplishment, he's less impressed by this fancy sword. He
2: he says, Hmm, let me show you its value. Shall I?
1: And then he bends it in half so the tip touches the hilt and lets it spring back. Uh, not a good thing to mm. do to a sword.
0: Right, no, but but it's not unlike what Thorsten did to the sword his brother offered him in the last episode. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, well, and, and just like that one, it turns out that uh, Lyot the Pale's fancy sword is a bit more decorative than it is practical.
0: Right, which... I mean, we have to say, isn't particularly uncommon historically. Right, yeah. I mean, there's a a real difference, a stark difference, between the kinds of blades men would wear for ceremonial or decorative purposes,
1: or to make themselves look cool, and those that would actually serve well in battle. Sure, And, uh, and this one, whether or not it might have served Thorstein well, is now useless because the temper of the blade is ruined. So thanks a lot, Jarl Harald. Well, never fear, the Jarl is here. He's got some good advice and a gift for young Thorstein. It's a new sword that he says will work wonders against Moldy. But only if Thorstein doesn't draw it before he's ready to strike.
0: So it's easy to get a reputation for generosity when you destroy a dude's sword before replacing (laughs) it. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, And uh, despite the rather rude handling of this trophy sword from Jolt the Pale... Thorsten is happy for the advice and, of course, for the gift of a new sword. Until he draws it from the scabbard and sees that it is not only very ordinary, but also
1: very rusty. Yeah, that's true, but don't worry about the rust. The Jarl takes the sword. I feel like you should worry about the rust. No, 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 no. He takes the sword from him and he bangs it on a nearby rock. And all the rust falls off. Okay.
2: This baby's good as new. Thorstein.
1: It's a paraphrase. And sure enough, the rust falls off. The sword looks bright and new again. It's perfect. Right, yeah. Blacksmiths hate this one trick. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> the Jarl then hands the sword back and
2: explains, Listen, this sword will bite moldy skin, but be careful. He blunts every weapon he looks at, so you must be careful that... He's not aware of it until you strike at him.
0: Right, so Moldy, in the tradition of bad guys in a duel, likes to use a bit of magic to help his cause. Right, so no surprises, really. Uh, and if I understand the Jarl's advice properly, Thorsten is supposed to start the duel with Yalt the Pale Sword, which is definitely not going to work now, Right. and keep this other sword hidden
1: until the moment he plans to use it. That's correct, yes. Now, at this point, Moldy finally arrives, and he expresses some shock that Thorstein and the Jarl have arrived
2: before him, saying, It's never happened before that I arrive later to the duel than my opponent. And Thorstein responds,
0: I think this is pretty, pretty clever of him, Well, your late arrival will correspond directly to your late departure.
1: In other words, you'll be leaving in a body bag.
0: Oh wow! In the in the parlance of a certain nineteen
1: eighty four karate movie involving a kid, yes, yes, uh huh. <laughs> and and though he's old, the jarl does offer to hold Thorstein's shields for him, but Thorstein refuses. Yeah, <laughs> probably a wise
0: move. Uh, just to be clear, Heroth is most likely offering to help Thorstein here by taking responsibility for getting him a new shield when the one he's holding breaks. Mm-hmm. Right. Probably not actually offering to be. In the path of the blows. Yes, I don't think so. Uh, because
1: depending on how the duel goes, even just sh- fetching shields could be a dangerous job. Yeah, because you got to give it to him while someone might be swinging a sword at him. Uh, now, so if the audience needs a refresher on the rules of a home gong, and this is indeed a home gong, uh, Moldy lays it all out for everyone in clear terms. He says,
2: Each of us will place his cloak under his feet. And each of us must stand on his cloak, not moving a thickness of a finger. And the one that moves will bear a coward's name. While the man that wins will be called valiant wherever he goes. Whoever is wounded or defeated can release himself from the duel by paying three marks. I mean, these are mostly pretty
0: standard rules for a Holmgong. Yeah. It's similar to those we find in uh, Cormac Saga or Ale
1: Saga. Right, yeah. And and it, if you're interested in more details about the history of the Holmgong, especially in the sagas, uh, then you'll want to listen to our second saga brief, home Gong or the Art of Dueling. I believe uh, we did that one about 10 years ago, John. 10 years. Oh, we were so young. Ah. When my beard was still brown. <laughs>
0: well, it was... Uh, it was salt and pepper, but yes, it was browner. Yeah, you know, you know, mine uh, too. Though. So uh, Thorsten listens to the rules with uh, with some patience, and then says, "I wish the wager was for six marks rather than three. That way, I'd win more." Oh, Thorstein, you—he's
1: a—he's a card, and he's a confident, confident guy. Well, and and why shouldn't he be? But uh, but moldy isn't impressed. He laughs off the comment and then asks Thorstein to show him the sword that he intends to fight with. And Thorstein, who's wise to this trick, hands him the decorated sword as planned. So Moldy pulls this sword from the scabbard and, though the saga doesn't say he gasps, I have to assume he gasps. I mean, you can assume whatever you want, but why? Because Moldy recognizes this sword. Mm -hmm. He says,
2: tell me. Forstein how did you come upon the sword of Ljot the Pale, my brother?
0: Hey, big reveal. Big reveal. That's right, folks. Moldy the Half-Berserk is Ljot the Pale's brother. Boom. So it's, uh, it's, it's one shock after another in this saga.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you would think that the Jarl might have mentioned this at some point.
0: Well or maybe the saga author, but someone. Yeah yeah. Uh, Thorstein says Lot sent you greetings
1: on the day he died, along with the thought that you were the most likely to avenge him. Okay, wait a second. That doesn't sound right to me. Uh no. <laughs> Didn't Thorstein smash his brother in half with the stump of a log? Yes. And the top half went overboard. And then the bottom half fell onto the deck, right? Yes, unlikely as it is, that is my memory too. Yes. Okay. So when did Yot the Pale have time to say all of this? Well,
0: he's a fast talker. Uh, so uh-huh. maybe on the way to the ocean. Okay, so it's like
1: flack, and then oh, tell my brother I said hi, and he's the one that maybe avenged me. <laughs> Something
0: like that, uh, or. Uh, I, I might suggest a more likely answer here, which is that Thorsten is just messing with Moldy. Uh, I mean, that's possible. I mean, he's been messing with Moldy since, since Moldy and his crew walked through the door at the feast. Yeah. And now, not only has Thorsten showed Moldy that he doesn't respect him or fear him,
1: he's just revealed that he also killed his brother. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's nervy stuff. Yeah. Well, that sounds far more likely. And uh, this news does rock Moldy. He says,
2: Are you saying... That my brother is dead? And you are the killer? And Thorsten
0: says, Well, it cannot be denied. No, I suppose you'd like to avenge him. So let's not delay any further.
2: And Moldy is clearly impressed. He says, It would be a shame to kill such a valiant man as you, Thorsten. I
0: hate to die. Uh yeah, and thorsten takes it as a sign of weakness. That's exactly it is kinda of what he says. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, he he interprets the statement to mean that Moldy is now looking for a way out of the fight. He says, You have heard that you have a reputation for being fearless, Moldy, no matter what dangers you face. Now I see that you will acquire the reputation
1: for being a coward before me, wherever you go. Well, those are some strong words. Well, that's, uh, that's how Thorsten does. Yeah, it is. And it works. Moldy is finally done delaying. He says,
2: Strike the first blow now, Thorstein, for I am eager to kill you since you've such a strong desire to die.
0: Well, the talking is finished and it's time for the duel to begin. Uh, Thorsten lands a blow cleaving Moldy's shield down to the handle. And then Moldy strikes back,
1: splitting Thorsten's shield. Yes. And then... Well... Yeah. Well, and and then we're... Well, we're in what we're going to call the Little Lacuna. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Most editions of this saga are based on a 17th century paper manuscript. And... Uh, this is, as far as I understand, the oldest surviving version of the saga that is also the most complete. It's mm-hmm. It's clearly a copy of an earlier manuscript that also contained the gaps that we see in this version, right? And unfortunately for us, this first little lacuna leaves the details of the duel between moldy and Thorstein lost to us. It's gone.
0: Yeah, but never fear. The little lacuna can be overcome, if not completely satisfactorily. Uh, because you see, there are later paper copies, or basically additions at that point,
1: yeah. of this saga. And they do fill in the gap here. Right, yeah. And I think I, I think the oldest of those is from the 18th century.
0: Yeah, now, uh, if you're reading along with us in the Complete Sagas of Icelanders collection, Heinemann includes the following passage in brackets as a representative of those paper copies that fill in this little gap. Mm mm-hmm. And so it went all day, so that it could not be determined who had the upper hand. But nevertheless, the result of the duel was that Moldy ended his life shamefully, and bore out Thorsten's prediction that Moldy would be leaving the duel after him. Thorsten returned to the hall, and the Earl thanked him for his victory with many words of praise, and valued him much more than before. Thorsten stayed with the Earl, for the time
1: being, in great honor. Mm. Well, that's... Well, that's what... It's disappointing, is what that is. It sure is, yeah.
0: No, I, uh, I'm i glad that it at least picks up on Thorsten's claim about Moldy leaving the duel after yeah, him. Nice it, touch. it does indicates that at least this is somebody who's read the saga. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's It's pretty rushed, and it makes no effort, really, to incorporate the stuff about the two swords that Thorsten is using, Right. the... The sort of the show sword and the real one. Yeah. Remember, he's supposed to be starting off with you know, the pales, bent, and uh, broken sword, and then switch to the one that Jarl Harald gave him to finish Moldy off. Yeah. I mean, the saga it,
1: invested a lot of time in that, and yeah. you're just going to
0: ignore it? Uh, right. And it, it is another one of those things that is partaking in various saga traditions, right? We've we've looked at uh, the sword Skofnung, which has all these rules right, attached yeah, to its yeah. use. Uh, this just feels like an 18th or 19th century editor doing their best to fill in the gap as succinctly as possible in order to create a bridge to the start of the next chapter, chapter 10.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, there there is, of course, an alternative to the short paragraph that Heinemann includes in this translation. And where did you find that? Uh, Well, I looked at the Icelandic text in the Saga database Uh, That is the sagadb.org, which is an excellent resource for all the sagas that we're doing. Uh, You can grab them in Icelandic, uh, sometimes in English, sometimes in Danish and other languages. Uh, But it offers uh, two variations, uh, this version, uh, on the kinds of things that one might find surveying later paper manuscripts. And the first one that it offers is the one that you just shared. But the second one comes from that 18th century manuscript. um, And it's a bit more interesting. Well, does it actually describe the duel? Oh, yes. Yes. But uh, ah. it does introduce some other details. Um, so let me let me just read it for you here. It's, uh, it's a little bit longer. Uh, but remember, uh, it picks up where Thorstein and Moldy had both struck blows, uh, both breaking the first shield of the other. And then the manuscript picks it up uh, right there, or the edition picks it up right there with, now they take another shield. Then Thorstein strikes with his sword at the Jarl's shield, but Moldy intends to strike with the flat of his shield. Thorstein sees this, lets his hand drop so that the blow hits the outer foot and takes off the calf, the ankle, and the shin. Moldy now retreats back onto the edge of his cloak so that he leans over. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I believe it says Mm -hmm. he just lost his calf, ankle, and shin. Yes, yes. But he has the wherewithal to just back up a little bit and then lean over. Yep. Yep. <laughs> very okay. Um, just want to be clear. Now
0: he's a very he's a very strong legged
1: man. <laughs> right. It's a three
0: three time national hopping champion.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, at that moment, Thorstein strikes Moldy's neck so that the head flies off. That's why he was leaning over. It's a good setup. We've seen that he, before. He's, he's
0: less able to handle this one.
1: <laughs> right. Um, It's not over yet. There was a great cry from the Jarl and his men, but as soon as Moldi's followers saw him collapse, they wanted to escape, but the Jarl orders his men not to let them get away. They were all killed there except one, whom Thorstein coerced into revealing where Moldi's hidden treasure was. This was a great fortune because Moldi had been a great duelist and the greatest of robbers. This treasure fell into Thorstein's hand because the Jarl did not want anything to do with it. He thanked Thorstein for his victory and for the freedom that he had gained for himself and his daughter. Thorstein became very famous because of all of this. And he then returned home to the hall. And the Jarl arranged a splendid feast and they drank happily. Well, well, well. Well, That's more like it. I mean, it kind of covers most of what we're looking for and then some, doesn't it? Yeah, except for the hidden sword. Yeah.
0: That part still got left out. What's up with that? Uh, But failing that, it works pretty well.
1: Yeah, it it more or less, you know, represents the kinds of things that we see in the sagas. But big question here, John, does it represent Mm -hmm. the original version of the story? Is it is this what was missing in the little lacuna? Or is it just a decent guess by a later editor that works well enough for audiences interested in the story?
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, we're going to have a very different conversation when we get to the the big lacuna. But yeah. this uh, this smaller one uh, feels less of a disruption. Sure, right? and uh, you can sort of see where sort of the lips of the narrative kind of kind of come together, where the absolutely where the scar tissue is about what it looks like, and so this feels more reliable to me.
1: Yeah, this is definitely something that is is broken. But mm-hmm. if you understand how to join things together, you understand how these two pieces fit and you understand the tradition that it's coming from not terribly hard to fill in those blanks is it right
0: not at all uh, yeah yeah i agree i think this is what we're dealing with is a a manuscript that uh in its damage is of various kinds and the solutions are of various kinds um uh, i do think we're looking at a later interpolation but a later interpolation that successfully weaves together the two halves of the, or the two parts of the narrative. Yeah, yeah. Although it and was, again, we're gonna have a very different conversation when we get to the larger gap. But for now, this feels like something that was successfully um, glued back together.
1: Yeah, I would be curious, and this isn't something that I have access to from you know uh, Oxford, Mississippi. Um, but I, I would be curious, and I, I tried to look online. Um, but if you could access that manuscript where this longer version of the uh, the, the duel exists, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things we're noting is it doesn't have the stuff about the hidden sword and, and, and all of that. That's not present. So, right. so is, is that hidden sword piece taken out of the conversation between the Jarl and Thorstein before um, they they get into the, the duel? Or is this interpolation just, it forgets about that? I, I don't know. Right. I mean... In the
0: end, I think um, the lacuna itself is not really a big deal to the narrative because it doesn't really disrupt the narrative, right? True, what we're yeah. missing is an action scene,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Not not the full narrative. We're missing just one scene as far as we know. Yeah. Uh, anybody who knows the sagas could fill the gap reasonably well, right? The description of a home gun yeah. by
1: just changing a few minor details. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The The, the little lacuna is just an invitation to imagine. Whereas the the big lacuna, which is it's just around the corner now, it's an all-consuming black hole. See now now see now you've made it sound ominous. Well, it is ominous. Uh, well, <laughs> you've seen what happens. Uh, well,
0: first let's get back to Thorstein.
1: Right. So yeah, one so one day, not long after this, and uh, the saga says like once or or uh, after some time, uh, Thorstein and the jarl are out walking together, and the jarl asks Thorstein what reward he would like to claim for his brave deed. And Thorstein explains that he'd take pretty much anything the Jarl thinks appropriate.
0: Right, yeah, but Thorstein does have a certain prize in mind. Uh, Only he's hesitant to ask because, as he puts it, It is scarcely to be expected
1: that I obtain my heart's desire because of our difference in degree. Ah, well, see, John, Here we are. Not only does he respect Jarl Haroth a Swede, he really does seem to like the idea of a noble Swedish bride. I, look, take it up with Heinemann, Andy. I mean, it is Heinemann around? Where are you, Heinemann? <laughs> uh, the Jarl is actually surprised at Thorstein's humility here. He says,
2: I encourage you to ask for whatever you want. for I will immediately grant it.
0: Yeah, and obviously this is exactly what Thorstein wants to hear, right? And it just isn't going to surprise anyone to hear that what Thorsten really wants
1: is the hand of Ingeborg, the Jarl's daughter. Yeah. Because you've heard stories before. I mean, the, the Jarl did promise her as the reward for anyone who could release him from Boldi's snare. This is just the way it's supposed to yeah. go. Uh, and Thorsten
0: also says, Well, I'll take whatever dowry you think does her honor
1: and that you care to provide. <laughs> <laughs> That's very subtle, Thorstein. Very subtle. Oh, yeah, real subtle. Oh, good mm-hmm. job. Now, the Jarl readily agrees to this. He says that he's been expecting it for some time, and he's happy to oblige. Um, in fact, he he actually offers to sweeten the deal with a further oath. He says,
2: I want to raise your degree in that you will rule this realm after I'm gone and never return to Norway.
0: So the the point is that this is something of an ultimatum, or at least it sounds like an ultimatum. Yeah, it does. And Thorsten isn't willing to accept any such agreement just yet. He says, I will promise to remain here for three years. After that, I will decide whether I am ready to accept the jarldom, because
1: by then I should know whether I will be able to rule the realm or not. Wow, I mean, this guy, he's gone from a coal biter to one of the most compassionate, logical, and heroic characters we've seen in recent sagas. Yeah, I'm really starting to regret his voice. <laughs> he's he's well, you're not gonna have to do it for very much longer. <laughs> yep. He's not rejecting the Jarl's offer out of pride here. That's what's impressive to me. At least mm-hmm. by what he says, he's postponing the decision because he wants to be sure that he's the right fit for this job. Yeah. I mean he is also yeah, he's 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 resisting the idea that he's essentially being asked to renounce his citizenship. Uh but yeah. Yeah, well, whatever it is, I'm 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 impressed. And so is the Jarl. But he does mm-hmm. say they need to consult with Ingeborg first and get her consent. But if she does agree, then Thorstein will become the Jarl's son-in-law and possibly his heir. It has turned out to be quite a trip for Thorstein. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sweden turns out not to have been such a bad stopover after all. I mean, it's been a great deal for Thorstein. And the Swedes of Jarl Harald's realm get an excellent Norwegian to rule them. The best of all Norwegian companions. Yes. But, of course, that assumes he actually decides to stay. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, And those three-year agreements can be rather tricky in the sagas, as we've seen.
0: Yeah. Uh, Now, things start out really well for everyone. Uh, Ingeborg agrees to the marriage, and there's a big feast to celebrate. Uh, Thorsten stays there over the winter, and soon enough, the newlyweds are expecting a child. Oh, that's nice. And when the child is born, he's sprinkled with water...
1: And named what, Andy? He's named Thorolf. He's named Thorolf. There he is. Now remember that was Thorolf's dying wish, for Thorstein mm-hmm. to name his firstborn son Thorolf, and that child would then inherit all of Thorolf's wealth and carry on that legacy of the family and have a success. Right. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure
0: that baby Thorolf has a bright future. Uh, me too. Uh, and just as quickly, because the narrative is rushing all of this, and we're not. Uh, three years pass. And Thorsten announces, well, I've now been here as long as I promised to stay, and for as long as I wish. See, now, that's really harsh. <laughs> as long as I wish. Right. It's the, uh, what's the the Bilbo Baggins thing? <laughs> I know less than half of you half as well as I would like, and I like less than half of you half as well it's as you It's exactly us. that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, and, but how long, honestly, is he supposed to hang around on the shores of Sweden? I mean, this is this is a man with itchy uh, itchy
1: traveling feet. The whole world is out there. Yeah, but there are better ways to announce this decision. I mean, than, uh, <laughs> I've stayed here about as long as I can stand. Uh, no, but, he, he, you know, he's not a prisoner. He's there with his wife right, and his right. young son, Thorolf. Well, no, and he's got the whole sorry. realm to rule. Yeah, but he's ready to move on. Uh-huh. He's got that wanderlust. He's yeah, got well, those happy feet. Okay. Well, for his part, the Jarl seems to take it well. He... He said that would be okay, and so he prepares a ship for Mm -hmm. Thorstein and loads it full of goods and treasure. You know, whatever Thorstein wants to take with him, because he's a Swedish pushover. Well, and how about Ingeborg? How does she feel about all this? Well, I think Ingeborg feels pretty good, because she's on the ship. Mm -hmm. She gets to go, too? (laughs) Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while now, and uh, Thorstein is one of
0: the few guys to show up someplace, marry the girl and then actually want to take her with him when he (laughs) leaves. Yes, I
1: thought the same thing.
0: They usually just marry them or occasionally sleep with them and then leave. Yeah, well, Thorstein's not that kind of guy. No, I mean, he's kind of, he's more sort of the ideal of the foreigner who shows up and marries your daughter. Yes, yes. Uh, He's even thought about the Jarl's succession problem. Uh, Before they depart, he pulls the Jarl aside and says, well, no, he doesn't say, he asks, I have one request, sir that if I send you any sons that I have with your daughter, they will inherit your land and your wealth after your death.
1: Okay. So, you said asks. Is that a request, do you think? Well, it's a strong suggestion. Yeah, in the form of a question. (laughs) Right, but we can
0: sort of, we can imagine there's a question mark at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, But it, it does make sense for all parties
1: involved. Yeah, and again, the future is looking bright for Thorstein and Thorolf and Ingeborg and, I can't wait to see well yeah ab- about that. Yes. It's here. It's here.
0: Yes. We turned the corner Andy and we've walked smack into it. Oh. We've arrived at the big lacuna.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not going to hear anything about Thorstein's journey or where he goes or what he does and mm-hmm. what children he has with Ingiborg or or even what becomes of Thorolf.
0: Right, and this is actually the last time we'll see any mention
1: of the name Thorolf in this text. Yeah, which is truly tragic. I was curious about him.
0: Yep, and so here we are standing at the the edge of the precipice of this massive chasm in the saga. Yeah. And I suppose we should probably end the episode here. Probably.
2: The the narrative
0: jumps forward, and I mean leaps forward, and picks up again in the middle of an ongoing feud Between a bunch of people that we've never heard of. In
1: Iceland. Yeah. Well, we'll have to deal with that next time. (laughs) For now, (laughs) this is probably where we should leave this episode. It feels like the right stopping point. So we just arrived at the most narratively incoherent section
0: of possibly the most narratively incoherent saga in the Icelandic corpus. Hmm. And now we're stopping just right here in the middle of the gap.
1: Yeah, because... Well, yeah, I don't want to introduce a whole new group of people right at the end of this episode. Yep, that makes sense. Let's do that. Uh, (laughs) Besides, I think they've had
0: enough of us for now. Oh, I I know I have. It's hurtful, but fair. So we'll be picking up the saga next time with what might very well be a different saga, (laughs) or at least a different part of this saga. Oh, yeah. Uh, In the meantime,
1: we've had our say, so now it's your turn. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us what you're making of this story. Yeah, what do you make of uh, Thorstein as a protagonist? And would you de rust a sword by smacking it on a rock, all you blacksmiths out there? <laughs> uh,
0: how much discussion of missing bits of manuscript do you want in the next episode? Huh. <laughs> and uh, while we're at it, where would you place this saga among the others qualitatively so far? Hmm.
1: Is it the worst saga? Or just one of the worst well, sagas? now, not everyone thinks it's that bad, John, at least up no, to this no, point.
0: Not, yeah, not everyone does, actually. Uh, we're going to need to revisit some of those scholars that
1: we quoted at the beginning of this saga when we get to the end. But for now, we're going to wrap it up and put this one to bed. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, and even Blue Sky now. Whoop, whoop. We're Saga Thing Podcast. Uh, you can also check us out on our unofficial official Discord site, which is just Saga Thing Unofficial, uh, or on uh, it's, you know, Twitter. It's access, pretty Signing official Pod. at this point. Oh, pretty official? Yes, it is. But since unofficial is in the title, I think we're fine leaving it that way. I think it's cute. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, stop by the Discord. We're talking about everything from medieval wedding traditions to anthropomorphic pinnipeds to the origin of the cincinnati
1: coney dog cincinnati coney dog the origins of saga thing are connected deeply to the cincinnati coney they dog. are actually <laughs> hmm. and if you've got a longer <laughs> have we talked about that on the discord yet uh on the discord no i but in our 10th anniversary or in our i don't okay. know we've, we've talked about so it was about the day yeah the day we ate the coney dogs that we yeah hatched this plot that's that's correct uh, but if you've got a longer question or comment, you can send it to our Gmail account, sagathingpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, but please, uh, you know, be patient. We, I'm mostly mm-hmm. grading and planning and <laughs> advising and and, right. and working on sagathing. You know, so and if you can't
0: reach us and none of this works, you can yeah. write us half a letter and stick it on half of some other letter. But <laughs> just send that to us since apparently we're going to be doing that now.
1: Oh, uh, that's great. That's so topical. All right. We will be back soon with the next <laughs> chapters of another saga called Svarvdala Saga. <laughs> Until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now.
2: Break the first blow now, Thorstein. I'm eager to kill you, since you've got such a strong desire to die. I don't know why. What happened there? I don't know (laughs) know what what happened there. Suddenly, uh,
1: Moldy is a Scottish pirate? Yeah, well, you know, he is the brother of a guy that had more of a pirate accent. Aww.